0: Jimmy Buffett is a lot of things. He's a musician, an author, a businessman, and a restaurateur. With a net worth of $900 million, he's also approaching billionaire status. But is he Jimmy Buffett? I mean, what do you think of when you hear Jimmy Buffett? Island hopping, margaritas on a beach, and swinging in a hammock? That lifestyle just isn't compatible with running a billion dollar empire. Indeed, by Buffett's own admission, he's a workaholic. So, is James William Buffett really Jimmy Buffett? Or is it all just a carefully crafted image? James William Buffett was born on Christmas Day 1946 in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Buffett described Pascagoula as a small provincial town with strong ties to the ocean. It was a town of haves and have-nots. Well-to-do Southerners lived in Oceanside homes while sailors, shrimpers, and boat mechanics took up residence in ramshackle shotgun shacks. Buffett's family was decidedly of the lower class, of the have-nots, with his father working as a shipbuilder. Jimmy himself was an altar boy and attended Catholic high school. But later, when he went to Auburn University, Jimmy discovered the power of music. His roommate was a guy named Johnny Youngblood. Buffett recollects a night when he was at a frat party. Youngblood was playing a guitar and Jimmy noticed that, quote, the girls were digging it. That's pretty much all it took. Jimmy Buffett just wanted to meet chicks. Aside from that, a band excited Jimmy because it was adventurous. Buffett said that, quote, it was like getting to be a pirate. We can't do that anymore, but a rock and roll band was pretty close. So Jimmy and a few of his friends started a band. During that time, Jimmy was the only responsible one of the group, so he had some credit at a local music store. The band went and bought a PA system on that credit, and Jimmy kind of fell into being the leader of the band. The equipment was bought on his credit, and he'd have to pay that money back after all. In his own words, he had to protect his interests. Buffett quickly decided that music was something he wanted to pursue. At the time, New Orleans was the cultural center of the Gulf area. So on the weekends, Jimmy packed his bags and hit the Big Easy. He and his band played acid rock in bars around the New Orleans area with some small-scale success. Buffett remembers a venue called the Bayou Room. At the time, if you got to play the Bayou Room, you'd made the big time in New Orleans. About two years after playing smaller shows, Buffett's band was on the main stage at the Bayou Room. Buffett recalls that he was making 150 bucks a week and he thought he'd made it. That was it, in his words. He felt like he was at the top of show business. Jock full of confidence and ambition, Buffett went to Nashville. After having success in New Orleans, Buffett assumed he'd find shows to play in Nashville, but no such luck. He tried sending songs to record labels and looking for songwriting gigs. Again, nothing. So down on his luck, he answered a newspaper ad for a writer. Buffett had graduated with a degree in journalism, so it was a bit of a no-brainer. Jimmy got the job, and the ad turned out to be Billboard magazine. So Buffett worked as a writer for Billboard, covering concerts and reviewing albums. It was a position he struggled with, though. He said he couldn't bring himself to give any bad reviews, knowing how hard it was to make it as a musician. During that time, though, Buffett says he learned exactly what the music business was and how it operated. He realized that having creative and legal control of his work was basically incompatible with the idea of a record deal. Indeed, he says the entire industry was stacked against the artist. And case in point, while Buffett learned a lot in Nashville, he really didn't have much to show for it. He'd gotten married and divorced and released a couple of flop albums. In Buffett's words, he got depressed, got pissed off, got divorced, and left. Indeed, he headed south to Key West, Florida. Today, Key West is a hub for tourism and wealthy retirees, but in the 60s and 70s, Key West was a little-known outpost for smugglers, fishermen, and all kinds of 'er ne'er-do-wells. As a bohemian 20-something with nothing but a guitar to his name, Buffett fit right in. He got a job on a fishing boat and then would play his guitar in cocktail bars at night. By his own admission, Buffett also made money smuggling marijuana through the Florida Keys at the time. This is an activity he would later deny, but who really knows? In any case, this is where the Jimmy Buffett of today got its start. At this point, his songs were about his real life. He wrote about hanging out on boats and drinking on beaches, things he was doing on a day to day basis. James William Buffett was very much Jimmy Buffett. Having found himself as an artist and a songwriter, Jimmy traveled around the region playing shows and developing something of a fan base in the southeast. Off the back of his regional popularity, Jimmy signed to Dunhill Records. Through the label, he put out the album A White Sport Coat and a Pink Crustacean in 1973. This was undoubtedly his breakthrough album, and it contained several of what later became Buffett's most popular songs. Buffett followed this with Living and Dying in Three-Fourths Time, an album that earned Buffett his first Billboard Top 40 single with Come Monday. He was clearly on the road to stardom and he bought a sailboat and spent most of his time cruising around the caribbean indulging in speed booze weed and anything else that seemed like a good time these were more or less the quintessential jimmy buffett years and with the 1977 release of changes in latitudes changes in attitudes he arrived in earnest that album and its single margaritaville took buffett from cult favorite to absolute hit maker Of course, with rockstar status came rockstar life. During this time, Buffett and his band, the Coral Reefers, were living in the fast lane. There are tales of rampant cocaine use, sex clubs, LSD-laced fruit punch, and a whole lot more in Buffett's day-to-day life. Buffett became good friends with Hunter S. Thompson. He recalls afternoons spent with firearms and chemicals. Buffett would later recall that he was lucky to make it out of these years alive. The album took Buffett away from the bohemian Key West lifestyle, which is ironic because its subject matter is the most Key West of his releases. It tells of Buffett's struggles as a songwriter, working only to make ends meet and cover boat repairs. It paints a really colorful picture of Key West at the time, a lazy, quiet beach town populated by criminals, outcasts, and artists. Over the coming years, Buffett would simmer down, though. His business ventures, more on those later, would take off in a major way. He abandoned the rock star life, reunited with his wife, and went down a path of huge commercial success. Despite that, he did have a few run-ins with police. In 1996, his seaplane, Hemisphere Dancer, was shot at by Jamaican police. They believed him to be smuggling weed. He was not, and the Jamaican government later apologized to Buffett for the incident. Then, in 2001, Buffett was detained at a Saint-Tropez airport for allegedly carrying hundred pills of ecstasy. As it turned out, the police had misidentified Buffett's vitamin B supplements, and there were only 29 of them, not 100. These stories are about as wild as Jimmy Buffett gets these days. Indeed, the Jimmy Buffett brand has far eclipsed the reality of Jimmy Buffett the human. So how did he turn Margaritaville, the song, into Margaritaville, the empire? In the 80s, Jimmy Buffett was essentially a one-hit wonder. His song, Margaritaville, had come and gone. Washed up would be a harsh phrase, but not entirely wrong. So Buffett and his business partner began to look for other ways to make money. They simply did not see music as a viable option in the long term. So the two opened up a t-shirt store called Margaritaville. It took off and soon they expanded it to a line of restaurants. Alongside this, Buffett noticed that the concerts that sold out the quickest were those in landlocked areas. And like a sack of bricks, it hit him, escapism. Jimmy Buffett, in his own words, had his finger on the pulse of escapism. So he gave the people what they wanted. Margaritaville Margarita Mix, Margaritaville Salt Shakers, Margaritaville Clocks, a Margaritaville XM radio station, Land Shark Lager by Margaritaville Brewing Company, Margaritaville at Sea Cruise Lines, Margaritaville Resorts, and of course Latitude Margaritaville, a senior living community in Daytona Beach. And these are not failed endeavors. Jimmy Buffett is feeding a very real demand. These products have been and continue to be hugely successful, despite Buffett having never put out a number one single. His top performing song, Margaritaville, peaked at number eight about 40 years ago. Buffett's company, Margaritaville Holdings, meanwhile, makes about $1.5 billion per year. Looking at the cultural context of Buffett's success, his cult of personality is perhaps no surprise. Buffett's rise to stardom coincided with the rise of yuppieism In a culture that said we needed to be working and keeping up with the Joneses, Buffett dared to offer an alternative. Don't work. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Have a margarita and go to the beach. And his fans, Parrot Heads, have been daydreaming about it ever since. So is Jimmy Buffett just a fraud? Is he just some rich guy selling a dream and an image? Well, the fact is, the Jimmy Buffett of the 1970s is no more. He's 71 now, and his days of island hopping, guzzling margaritas in the Keys, and indulging in drug use are long gone. But they were once very much a reality. And Buffett was not born into any special wealth or circumstances. His success is squarely his own doing for the most part. He was raised in the same world that most of us were. Despite this, he found his ideals and he stuck to them. While the medium of his message has largely changed from music to merchandise, there's no denying the compass of Buffett merchandise has a true north. It means something and it speaks to some ideal. Surely that counts for something.